0: Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles with you, if you will. I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open today. I uh, I am using the New King James Version. You may have the ESV or another version, whichever one is fine. I'm not even sure which one we have on the screen today. But I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open because I want to look through uh, several different chapters today. When Ben started our focus class this morning, he said he prophecy he was not going to try to teach through four chapters. (laughs) I've got five. There you go. Turn to the book of 2 Chronicles. That's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So over there in the Old Testament, you can find it. You can find it. um, And I want to talk to you about some kings. God blessed his people in times past with good kings. The nation depended, their welfare depended on whether the kings were obedient or not. They had good kings. They had bad kings. And the people suffered or were blessed accordingly. Um, I think probably the most important thing to get from either our focus class today, and by the way, I'm so, so blessed that we have so many. I think we're going to have to pull out some more tables, Ben. It was a great class this morning, and I appreciated Ben's leading us in that discussion. I'm reminded, I'm always reminded, the story is not about us. And don't we all tend to come at whatever God is doing with the thought that how does this affect me? But the story of God is the story of God and his glory. You and I are bit players in this story. We're, we, we, Yes, we are children of the king. Yes. Uh, we, we are partakers of the sovereign glory and majesty in the cross of Jesus Christ. But there is no denying, as Chad pointed out in our class this morning, there's no denying that there were people who lived and died as a part of God's plan, and they would have had trouble looking at the times where they were into and saying, well, all things work together for good, you know? And yet we see that God is always at work. If we can get to the place where we see ourselves as a part of God's plan and not God working for my good, then we will I've taken a step in the right direction. In 2, in 2 Chronicles chapter, look at chapter 15, we won't be here long, but there was a king named Asa. This king, the Spirit of God, came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, in, in chapter fifteen, Second uh, 2 Chronicles 15, verse 1. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Look at the rest of that. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, why is that important? Because Asa was a good king. Asa would serve 41 years as the king of Judah. Now, remember, in the time we're talking about, there's Israel, there's Judah, two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Judah was the king we're talking about. Israel, that's a subject for another day. But uh, God had ordained that His people would follow Him and depend on Him, and not. Form alliances with other people. They didn't do so well in that. Even though we find that Asa was the king, who followed after God. He would eventually would follow, would form alliances with Syria and other places. There is a great uh, verse before we leave this. Look at verse uh, 10. This is good. So they gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, this is Asa the king gathered the people together at Jerusalem in the third month and 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. That's in the Bible. Jason, there's your evangelistic uh, plan right there, buddy. Here you go. Who wants to follow Jesus? If you don't, we'll kill you. That was King Asa, his son Jehoshaphat. And and Asa, I said, ruled for 41 years. His his son Jehoshaphat came and ruled instead after his death. Look over chapter 17. What does the word say about Jehoshaphat? Look in verse 3. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of, of his father. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images, you understand that's the places where people gave sacrifices to other gods besides the one true God. So there's Jehoshaphat who's now reigning as king. He gets all sorts of financial, material blessings that are pouring into him. He's got a great army. Now, we didn't look at this in chapter 15, but you can go back and see that Asa had an army of about half a million men or more than half a million men. Jehoshaphat, we don't know how many, but he had at least a million, over a million men at his disposal for an army. He had a great, great amount of power. And we're told in the scripture that it's because his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Now look down at verse 10. And the fear of the Lord... Fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. John Piper said this that God has three ways of protecting his children from danger. The first way is that he, by his sovereign hand, keeps that danger from ever arising in the first place. The second way is he removes his sovereign hand slightly. And allows an enemy to come against us, but still gives power to overcome. The third way, he says, is that God allows an enemy to come against us to win the battle. But he protects us from fear and unbelief. You cannot grasp that unless we get the fact that God is sovereign; He knows what he's doing. And he does all things well. You just have to get that to believe that. So, Jehoshaphat with his army, there they were. And he talks about the Philistines and so forth. Now, Jehoshaphat, in the next couple of chapters, will find that he makes an alliance with Ahab, which he shouldn't have done. As a matter of fact, one of his daughters marries son of Ahab. And that did not go well. There is a great, as we studied in our men's ministry one night, there is a great interchange between prophets back there in chapter 18, I believe it is, with uh, Asa and those prophets, that, that's that's good. Um, then we come to chapter 20. In chapter 20, let's begin in verse
1: 1.
0: It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hezazam-Tamar, which is called En-Gedi, even to this day. It's called En-Gedi, just south of Jerusalem there. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Okay, you with me? You got the story so far? Here we go. There's Remember, God said he blessed Jehoshaphat because of his obedience to him, and he protected him by not having enemies come against him. Now, we get to chapter 20. Guess what? Three-country alliance. There's Moab, Ammon, Mount Seir. And Mount was kind of an area, I guess you'd say, you know, particular province or area that they joined together. So these three countries that come together, they said let's go against Jehoshaphat. So word came to Jehoshaphat all these armies are coming against us, and again, we're not told how many there, there are, but we're given to, we do know that it was a large, large number and you can figure out why in just a little while when we get to the end of the story. It was a large number of people, and again we don't know how many uh, Jehoshaphat in his army. But he had over a million at his disposal. It could have been a large, large army. So keep that in mind as we talk about what happened in this story. Then going on to verse 5 Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers. Now Jehoshaphat's going to pray. And oh, what a prayer. Listen to this O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. Say, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before the temple in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. and now here are the people of Ammon Moab and Mount Seir whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt but they turned from them and did not destroy them here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your Possession. You know it doesn't hurt to throw in those pronouns every now and then. Lord, just just a reminder in case you forgot. This is your possession. He says they come to throw us out of your possession, which you gave us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Can i stop here for just a minute this is a great pattern of prayer this and it, it's one i find in the over and over that King David prayed and asaph and other psalms that where they would come to the lord and said lord you are a great god you are worthy of all praise and glory you're beyond all imagination and description and then did to say lord remember remember when you do you pray that way it's a good it's a good way to pray. Let me tell you, uh, not that God needs to be reminded, He doesn't, but it's good for us to be reminded of what God has done in our behalf in years past. And I look back and I can see times when when uh, we didn't know what we were going to do, and I said, Lord, Lord, remember, remember when that baby was born, and we didn't know. But you gave a promise <laughs> you followed through. I'm sorry about that. Well I'm not real sorry. Sometimes I sweat out my eyeballs that way. <laughs> With my own eyes I have seen what God can do. And I'm convinced that He does miraculous things, however you want to define that. Then he went on to say, Not only not only remember what you've done in the past, but Lord, we're in a mess. These three countries, <laughs> they're coming against us. You gave us this promise, and now these people who you, by your sovereign hand, have kept out all these years, now they're coming to reward us by coming against us, to come and try to kill us. He said, Lord, we don't have any power against them. Who's been there? Who's been there recently? Lord, I don't have power. I don't know what to do. That's a good way to pray. That puts you in a good place when you say, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Sovereign Life Fellowship, can I say to you today with humility? God is doing wonderful things seen growth, and we've seen blessing upon blessing, I believe that we will continue to do so, but be on guard, because there is an enemy, and the enemy will come, and what we do when the enemy will come determines who we are as a body. Could I say to our elders, our elders, guys? God has sovereignly placed you in this place for this time. But we don't need you to have the answers. We need you to have your eyes on oh, Jesus. He has the answers, and he'll show the way. Whoo, that's good. <laughs> yeah. We can Stay there a little while. Verse 13, now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the middle of the assembly, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them, they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerubel. You will not need to fight in this battle. What? A huge army's coming, and we got our own warriors out here too. But you will not need to fight in battle. Position yourselves. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. For the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord. Worshipping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites. And of the children of the Korahites. Stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Alright, so what's happened? Jehoshaphat, the good king, knew where to go. He went to God. And God raised up a prophet. The man's name was Jehaziel. And Jehaziel gave a prophecy. The prophecy was this. Jehoshaphat, take the people. Go against the army. You're not going to need to fight at all. The battle's not yours. It belongs to God. So, Jehoshaphat said, Okay, They fall to the ground. They're worshiping the Lord. They're praying. And what happened? Strange thing. This group of people start singing. Now, I don't think it was a spontaneous song, even though we can talk about that a little I'm not opposed to that at all. And perhaps there might be times when that sometimes happens, even in our own congregation from time to time. I don't think that's what this is talking about. Who are these Levites, from the Kohathites and the Korahites. Well, if you go back in this same book, back to chapter 6, you'll find out that the Kohathites were the Levites who were put in charge of the duties in the temple regarding music. They were the choir, the singers. Now, we don't know really how many. There were a great number, but I think you'd be shocked to find out just how great the number of the Levites were that did the various things in the temple. You do remember, don't you, in the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles, I believe it's chapter 5, where the 120 trumpet players, if we have 120 trumpet players in this room, let me tell you, <laughs> it's going to hurt your ears. 120 trumpet players along with all the people who say, and gave praise the Lord. It is, it is a fact of Scripture, I believe, ordained by God, that God has chosen praise of his people as the setting for when he acts many times. Now, I'm not saying, uh, see, here's, here's what we would tend to do. Uh, the typical modern-day church would say, well, let's find out what that song is. And we sing that song, because if God did it then, when we sing that song, then he'll do it when we sing it. No, no, that's not it at all. Not it at all. It has to do with our God and our obedience to him. Those people were doing what they were called to do when they stood up and began to sing. It was their job to get up and sing. And their song, we believe, was probably the song that they sang the next day or something similar to that Praise The Lord, his mercy endures forever. We don't know. I wish I knew what it sounded like. I really do, but I don't. Good chance it was in a minor key and maybe something like the Lord is good. And His mercy endures forever. And it just rang and got bigger and bigger. I can see that. So that's what happened. Jeziah gave the prophecy. Jehoshaphat believed the, the prophecy, and amassed uh, the people to get ready to go out. So in verse 20, they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they were out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God." and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Can I tell you, I think that's what Jason does right here in verse 70. He says to us, believe God, and you'll be established. Be obedient. Trust his word. Know his word in such a way that it's life and death to you, that it's final, because that's exactly what's at stake. But be so tied to his word to find out what it means and what it says and how we can place that into our lives and do it. That everything else is a poor uh, priority behind that. So you you picture the king, he's out there in the morning, this is the day we're going against the armies that have come against him, and the prophet says, you're not going to need to fight, so go out against them. So here we have, as they're getting in line to go, and again, we don't know how many people, but probably a large group. As they're getting in line, they pass by the king he's saying, go get them. Go get them. Stand fast. Believe God and you will be established. We need to hear that today. Believe God and you will be established. Whether that means financial ruin and God will take you through it. Whether it means whatever you're dealing with in your family, however God's going to work that out, you will be established. And in the end, you'll know that it's God who works all things together for good, for his own glory. So here we are. Jehoshaphat's out there with the people as they're getting in place. Where was I here. Now, let's go down again, verse, uh, verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went to the wilderness. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper when he had consulted with the people he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever so so they're getting the army ready to go into battle what does Jehoshaphat do? he puts the choir up front (laughs) I gotta tell you the truth I'd have been wanting some prophets up there with us. Let me tell you, if the singer's going to be up front, some of you preachers come on up here and join us in case God decides to spread the blessing around a little bit, you know. So there they were, going out. See, see, Jehoshaphat believed that the prophet had spoken the word of the Lord. So he didn't know how, but he knew God was going to work it out. And he believed, and he was established. Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill them and destroy them and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. (laughs) Are you picturing this? The three countries that had come into alliance all of a sudden Two of them joined together and turned on the third one. They killed off Mount Seir, and after that was done, then Moab and Ammon turned on each other and they killed each other. And there they were in this valley, a bunch of dead bodies, <laughs> just as God said He would do. He won the battle. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were dead bodies falling on the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies, precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there the Lord, uh, they were blessed by the Lord, therefore the name of the place was called the Valley of Barakah unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem to Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets. When they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, then the ram of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave rest all around. Can you imagine? In my mind, they're they're just traveling along as one mighty band, mighty army, and they're, they're singing the song that the the Levites up front, the song that they're doing, and it kind of just washes back. Have you ever been in a congregation that was large enough that you couldn't sing all together at the same time? A number of years ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Georgia Dome, with 40,000 pastors for a promise keepers meeting. Somebody started singing, Holy, 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 I think it was a hymn. Somebody started singing the hymn. And by the time it got from the other side of the stadium around to where we were, we're about half a verse behind. And so as you go around, he said, but it was beautiful. Just a beautiful sound. And you remember, there's no sound systems then. So it kind of went from the front to the back. And in my mind, they're just praising the Lord as they come. Until they come up on this ridge. And now we're looking down into the valley. And what did they see? <laughs> Dead bodies. They're expecting uh, maybe an army. Lord, we don't know what we're expecting here, King Joshua, but when they get to the place, there's dead bodies and not a few dead bodies. Enough dead bodies that it took this mighty group of people three days to go through it and get all the jewelry and the stuff that they had there. So there's several lessons Uh, One, of course, uh, the most obvious has to do with prayer. And that is the default setting of Jehoshaphat, which ought to be the default setting of any of us, as well as our church. The setting was when the enemy came against him, he went to prayer. He bowed his face before the Lord, knowing that there was one place where help was available, and that was found in God. Is that your default setting to go to prayer? I pray that we'd be a church, and that's going to be a topic, a whole topic for another day. I pray that we'd be a church who would know that we, whatever happens, we better pray. Can, can I say this to you, in love? Neglect of prayer, or worse than that, refusal to pray, only shows us to be Practical atheists. Well, let me try that again. Check me out. I think I'm right here. When we refuse to pray, when we neglect to pray, we're saying to ourselves, I can do this. I can handle this. You can't. And our church can't. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let that be our creed and our motto as we go forward. The second lesson is simply this spiritual. Worship and spiritual warfare ought to be carried out with sin. Now, we have that in the story. You didn't miss, did you, in uh, verse 22? Now, it was when they began to sing and to praise that the Lord set ambushes against them. Say, well, that's nice, that's a good story, but do you have any other examples of that, so glad you asked. In Acts chapter 16, there was Paul and Silas, you remember? Yes. They're in jail. And if we could put this in context, just, just think about perhaps we were having a revival service or a Bible conference or something, and you'd been thrown in jail just for inviting somebody to come to our church. And who's, I was going to ask who's been in the great county jail, jail, but, but then I thought, <laughs> if you raise your hand, I know you were in jail ministry. You're not not there for another purpose. Don't confuse what Paul and Silas were. Don't confuse their jail there with Great County Jail. It was nothing like that. The inner chamber of the city sewer might be closer, and they were in bonds and chained up there for doing nothing more than spreading the gospel. And at midnight, oh, I wish you could have heard E. V. Hill. Some of you here know who E. V. Hill is, the old evangelist. From uh, Los Angeles. Evie Hill was preaching this subject, and he said, and he said, uh, uh, Paul and Silas, they're down in the dungeon. And it's cold. It's dark. And about midnight, Paul says to Silas, Silas, brother, how you
1: doing?
0: And Silas says, Oh, I'm alright. Paul says, Silas, I. I, I think I feel a hallelujah coming on. About that time I'm looking through my mouth, where did he find that? <laughs> he says, he said, he, Silas says, Paul, you go ahead and start and I'll join you on the chorus. And they begin to sing. He said, somewhere in the portals of glory God, sitting on his throne, said, what's that sound I hear? And the angels around said, he said well, Lord, surely all the sound of all creation gives praise to you. Surely that's what you or, or perhaps it's the sound of the angels and the elders who, for 24 uh, hours a day, if there was such a thing, give honor and praise to you and say, worthy. He said, no, no, listen, that this sound. And he said, listen to the Paul and Silas. He said, I kind of like that. And he began to tap his toe. Again, Wayne, I'm looking and saying, where did he find me? And he said, the scripture says that heaven is his throne and earth is his footstone. When he tapped his toe, the chains broke and the place was opened up and they came out. Now, I don't I don't know about the theology of all of that, okay? <laughs> but that's basically what happened. At midnight, they began to praise the Lord and the chains fell off. God did wonderful work that changed other lives in the process. Spiritual warfare and spiritual worship to be carried out with singing. I'm not sure why that is, but I'm absolutely sure that God has a thing about singing. You just see it throughout scriptures. In, in what I think is one of the most uh, hard to grasp verses in the Bible for me, in Zephaniah 3, we see a picture of God who is delighted when his children come into his presence to such an extent that he jumps up excitedly and sings over you. Whew! God has something to say. And so should would. Mary Slosser, the great missionary to China in days when it was not safe to be a missionary in China. They asked her, What do you do when it gets really hard, when you're faced with famine and all these other things that she dealt with on a daily basis? And she said, When things get really hard, I just sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. <laughs> Some of us need to learn that. Sing the doxology and dismiss the, level, the, the devil. The great theologian William Law, the great Ang- Anglican priest in 1700, said this just as singing. There's a natural effect of joy in the heart, so it has also a natural power of rendering the heart joyful. There is nothing that so clears the way for prayers, nothing that so disperses dullness of heart, nothing that so opens heavens, or carries your heart so near it as songs of praise. They create a sense of delight in God, they awaken holy desires, they teach you how to ask, and they prevail with God to give they kindle a holy flame, they turn your heart into an altar, your prayers into incense, and carry them as a sweet-smelling savor to the throne of grace. It is no wonder that Satan hates the songs of God's people. He does his best to keep a church from being a singing church, and he does his best to keep you from being a singing person. Why is that important to us as a church? Because when we come in here on Sundays, it we, we should never come with the idea of, well, I don't really feel like singing today, or, you know, they're not singing anything that I like today. Mean, all of that's out the window. Why? Because what you ought to do is you ought to see when we sing as a corporate body in our Fellowship, you ought to see that in spiritual warfare. We're going to come together, and we're going to sing the songs of Zion, and we're going to banish the devil when we do. John Piper, I believe it was, who said that when God's people come together and sing praise to Him, God looks down and said, Where's the enemy I can banish? May we learn to live in just such a way. Say, well, that's good. That was Old Testament and that was years past. What about today? Some of you know the name Paul Balash. Paul was worship leader up in Garden Valley Community Fellowship up in close to Van Matt. He's back on the East Coast now, but. About five years ago, he got a letter from a lady. He says, I was in Edmonton, Canada at a conference, and after leading a session on songwriting, a young woman came up to me and showed me some beautiful photos from Papua New Guinea. She has been involved in medical clinic work there. She told me how singing and songwriting had become an integral part of the ministry there. Then a few days later, I received this letter from her Dear Mr. Balash, I realized after I left that I didn't fully explain the story about the child with the, pace, with the painted face to you. His name is David, Papua New Guinea, remember? His name is David, but his name was not David originally. He actually didn't have a name. You see, he was born with cerebral palsy, and he couldn't move his limbs and doesn't know how to talk. When his mother had him, the village thought he was born that way because he was cursed. And they wanted to drown him in the river to lift the curse. His mother refused to allow him to be killed. She was the second of her husband's three wives and was cast out of the family because they were afraid of the evil spirits that would be coming with the curse associated with this child. So she was cast out of the village and had to care for herself and her son across one of the rivers in a very small hut where no one else lived. No one would speak to her or interact with her. And when we arrived at the village, they warned us not to cross the river because they thought the curse would be cast on us as well. It's sadly not an uncommon belief there. So I ignored the villagers' protests and concerns and traveled across the river to see what I was what I could do for her. When I arrived, even She was afraid to let me see her son because she would believe also that I would be cursed. When I convinced her that it would be okay for me to see him, and discovered he had cerebral palsy. There was nothing I could do to cure him. I spent time talking to his mother about her situation. The little boy was so small, and I was proud of her for choosing to take care of him and not allow him to be killed. She clearly loved him, but it was very hard. I told her, and the other curious villagers had by then arrived to see if I was cursed. I told her about the medical condition, and that it was not a curse, but a medical condition, and that's what made him the way he was. I told him it doesn't mean he's stupid or unable to learn. You could tell just by looking into his little eyes that he knew exactly what was going on. It was hard to convince the villagers, though. They insisted that even if he wasn't cursed, he was still taking food and water that they had so little of. They said that the food he was using could supply at least one other whole person. If you knew how little food they have, you would understand why this kind of thinking is very common. It's just the reality of where they live. She said, my heart broke as I tried to overcome fear and tried to explain how that God loves every child. So I did what I always seem to do when I'm at a loss for words. I started singing. The only song that came to my mind was, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And as I exercised this child's limbs, I sang that song. And then the next thing I know, he was singing along, in harmony. He couldn't say the words, but he hit every note. The whole village stared in amazement. He had the sweetest voice, and his eyes were incredibly bright. So I kept singing with him, song after song, and at the end it saved his life. It's amazing what God chooses to use couldn't do anything medically, but a simple song convinced the entire village that this boy was not cursed, but special. They were all touched by his singing, and I had the opportunity to talk with him for hours about God's love through Jesus. Now that little boy and his mother live in the center of the village, a place of honor, and he helps with all the patients that I see. I somehow got the idea that when I was treating patients who came, they were in a lot of pain or frightened or whatever, that he could come and sing for them. They call on him for everything, and he sings all the time now. He always looks so happy and determined when someone asks him. His mother gladly carries him all over the village, and though he's still learning how to speak, he can answer most questions with different signals. That's how I came to believe that he's trusted Jesus. He was able to signal when I talked to him. and and, uh, She goes on to explain a little bit about that. I don't know why. But God has chosen to, by his power, to use singing as a way to usher in wonderful things that he does through scripture. Well, am I saying the psalm? The psalm has, no, it's not the psalm that his power. But let me say this. If God's power is the feast, then singing sets the table. May we be a people who would understand that when we lift our praise to the Lord, we're doing what he's called us to do in glory and honor. And when we do that, keep our eyes open because there's no telling what he may do. He may have an enemy turn on each other and run away. He may change your minds and mind about something you face. He may allow you to be overcome and be shocked at the grace that he gives to overcome you and you know, unbelief. So sing. And when it comes time for Sunday to come, I, I would just be thrilled if I, my email inbox was filled with people saying, hey, I don't know this song we're doing Sunday give you singing. Uh, I would be thrilled uh, to have more already almost already have more requests to sing, hey, have you heard this song? And I just love that. Let us be a people who sing to the Lord and watch what he will do as we sing to him. Jason, will you come? So what are we going to sing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's sing the gospel. And Jason, what is the gospel?
2: I'm glad you asked. we we'll get your microphone. <laughs> yeah. So what is the gospel? We say it every week here. We do it on purpose because we want it to be a part of our DNA. The gospel is this we were born into sin, separated from God. Yet even in our rebellion, even in our active war against God, God loved us. And he sent Christ to take our place on the cross, to take our punishment that we richly deserved. And when we put our faith in Christ and repent, we can be reunited with the God who loves us. And that is only good news if you know you need to be rescued. I was asked recently, what is the very least that someone needs to know in order to become a Christian? What's the very least? It's a great question. I was talking a bit about it. Tay about it a few others here and here's my answer that you know you need saving because of your sin and that Jesus is the rescuer yes. we'll work on everything else after that <laughs> that is the gospel so people would say well how do I come to know Christ how do I do that do I need to take a hand do I need to pray a prayer do I need to repeat something I would tell you what the bible says repent and believe you don't need me to do that You don't need to come down an aisle, but if you ever need to talk or chat or walk through what that means, myself and the other elders are always here, meet you anytime, uh, to talk with you about that. But repent and believe. And then the question, because we're in the East Texas world of church, what does that actually look like? Here's the thing that we don't teach well. People who truly repent and believe, although not perfect, and although we fail and we struggle, we are never the same again because we have met the God and creator and sustainer of everything. And when we fail, we know where to go now. And that's the God. That's the gospel. Let me pray with us before we sing, and then I'll come back with a benediction. Lord God, we do love you. Lord, I am fascinated as Keith is with all the scriptures that pertain to us singing and rejoicing. Lord, if there's anything I hope becomes a mark of our church, that when we sing, we will be reminded of you and the good news of the gospel. We will be reminded of what you brought us from and what you are promising to bring us to. So Lord, I pray that our... Songs that we sing, will preach the gospel as clearly as we do from the pulpit when we preach. Lord, continue to grow our church. I pray that as we have already been warned in this sermon, that we would be on guard against the enemy, and may we, uh, may He find us a rejoicing people, confident
1: in Your strength and not our own. As Your name, we pray.